following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 828 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dolan. We're joined today by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly, Brittany Page. So I was reading an article in Bloomberg titled, I Got a Crash Course in Rodent Control at DC's Rat Academy. Rat Academy. This is by Linda Poon. So if you want to read it, we will link to it in the show notes. And it focuses on Bobby Corrigan, who is our guest today on the show, and his work and study in the field of rodents. If you remember when we moved to D.C., there was, this is maybe giving it more space than it deserves, a little controversy from a listener who was offended or put out or whatever word he used, I don't remember, that we would spend any time at all talking about rats, that, that our surprise was somehow bothersome to him. Mm-hmm. Because we moved from Southern California, the, the suburbs of Orange County, we didn't have a mouse or a rat problem. Mm-hmm. And while you know in the back of your head that if you live in a big city, there's going to be rats, until you really experience it... <laughs> You don't really know. Yes. And so it's been a topic of conversation on the show for for months now. And we're still in the throes of getting used to the, the volume of rats, the intensity of dead rats everywhere. It's a, it's a, a feature of life in a city. There's another dead one in the garage, by the way. I Is think that- I forgot to tell you. It's so common now that I just don't... It doesn't register yeah, like it did when I first moved here. I mean, there's a dead rat in the garage. You just heard me. And I was I didn't even tell you. I saw it yesterday. <laughs> also, the garage is outside. It opened, it's an open. We have like a regular traditional garage door right. that goes down in, in behind the fence, but it's all in the open. It's Yeah, it's outside. Yeah. Someone could parachute into our garage. <laughs> <laughs> Into the rat cemetery that is our garage. Maybe that's so, how the dead rat got there. So we invited Bobby, Ph. Bobby Corrigan, PhD, rodentologist, who even knew that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a great conversation, um, learned a whole bunch. And really, I kind of developed a, not a reverence, let's not say reverence, <laughs> but certainly a respect for creatures that are marginalized and that we as humans have really fucked over with the way we deal with our trash and our waste and giving them the incentive to come and live among us. So, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Bobby Corrigan. Here we go. Bobby Corrigan, PhD, urban rodentologist. Thank you for joining us and uh, giving us a little bit of your time today. You bet, Jesse. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm, uh, well, we got a million questions. We um, do. <laughs> but, but first of all, how, give us a little bit of a, a brief rundown of how you came to urban rodentology and how many of you people are out there? <laughs> Great question. Um, you know, I came to it by, kind of by accident, as you might expect. I've always been a nature nerd. I was the kid in the backyard frying the ants with the magnifying glass kind of guy. And, um, you know, I went to college to study nature and bugs and this kind of thing. And uh, I ran out of money while I was in college, so I took a job as an exterminator by figuring, hey, you know, I'll be around the bugs and the animals and so forth. And I ended up, uh, because I was the new guy, they put me in the sewers of New York City uh, to kill rats, of all things. Yeah. And 
at first I thought, I don't know about this. But, you know, the more I was watching those rats, uh, even though I was frightened to death, to be honest about it, um, you know, I realized, you know, these are very, very cool animals. They're very smart. I saw all kinds of things. And even though I was in a sewer watching rats going by and climbing walls and going out for food and coming back and all of that, you know, I I just said uh, there's more to this than anybody realizes at least for me at that time, others did realize it. So in graduate school, after I got my bachelor's in entomology in graduate school, I asked permission to go into rodentology. And I had a great team of mentors and professors, and they were very receptive to that. And uh, there I was, master's and PhD in studying wild mammals. Wow. So what does an urban rodentologist do? Well, you know, it it varies tremendously, quite honestly. Um, it, it can be anything from doing surveys of city blocks where there's a problem. It, it can be looking in a warehouse where there's a problem that uh, an elusive rat has gotten into a food warehouse and everybody tries everything, but the rat's so smart, uh, it avoids everything we try. Mm. So they'll bring in a consultant and try to uh, outwit the rat, if you will. And it, it is, you know, for me, I'm probably 50%. I call myself an architect because I design uh, city control programs and control programs for big entities and that kind of thing. So that's pretty much covers covers my wheelhouse. Which city would you say has the worst rat problem? You know, Brittany, I would say um, (laughs) there is no answer to that. Okay, good. I'm happy to hear that because we moved to D.C. and people always get into this tragedy off with us where they're like, well, you think D.C.'s bad. Get ready to hear about New York City, right? Correct. And and not only that, but people love to brag about how big their rats are. (laughs) You know, and it's almost like we're talking about the Super Bowl. Who's going to win it this year? So, (laughs) you know, it's just crazy. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is the rats are all over the globe. You know, I travel all around the globe and they're in major cities all around the globe from top to bottom. And it's a very successful mammal. So as we we build these cities and we build sewers and tall buildings and food plants and warehouses and all kinds of things, the rats and the mice, they're like, hey, you know what? We this is great. We don't have to work for a living in these fields and run around chasing things. We can just, you know, move into the city with the peeps and they drop food (laughs) or they don't pick up their food, so forth. And so they're everywhere. So there's no one city that I would say is the worst. So we, as a species, uh, we have absolutely incentivized these certain, certain animals across the spectrum, not just rats, to to sidle up and take advantage of our waste and everything else. Um, I know we read somewhere that there was a, a shift in, and there was an impact that, um, that really affected rats during the pandemic, especially here. Well, it was in DC. We read about it, but how did the pandemic um, impact rat population and their behavior and where they live and where they eat? Was there, Am I am I remembering that right? You are, Jesse. It's um, that was very accurate. The pandemic was, you know, for us amazing, right? You know, we we were somewhat probably in shock as to what had happened to us with a virus. So, but you know, rats being mammals too, they need the same things we do, and and so they need their food every day. They need their water. They need their protection. And since they're pretty much scavengers in many ways in our cities. As I mentioned earlier, they wait for us to drop food or not get rid of food quick enough or, you know, store it correctly and so forth. The pandemic, as we all know, the pandemic pause shut that all down. And so the rats that normally would say come out of a borough someplace in any city and many places around the world and end up going to the spot where there was food all the time, put out in trash bags or in cans or in dumpsters. It wasn't there. And so the rat, you know, they're prepared somewhat to say, okay, well, 
you know, um, something's amiss, if you will. I'm going to anthropomorphize a little bit. They would go home and say, maybe it'll be there later, or maybe it'll be there tomorrow. And each time they went out, it wasn't there again. So, so the rat has a very low tolerance for being hungry, very low. It's high metabolism. Pretty soon they'll, they go a little bit into a panic mode. And so, and I was out doing surveys, right? During the, the immediate shutdown, the very first week, I was like, hey, I wonder what's going on. I wonder what the rats are going to be doing. Let me go check it out. And uh, I saw rats, you know, acting very strange. Uh you know, going at each other. There was a lot of aggression upon each other. There were even rats that were going to war with each other, and and the victors were eviscerating the losers. Wow. So You, you mean know, killing, right? Yes, yes. Killing okay. and eviscerating them and consuming cannibalism. Oh, wow. But, wow. Yeah, quite frankly. It, Goddamn. It, yeah, not, not a pretty scene, but, you know... You wouldn't have to look very hard as to cases of human beings, not many, but yeah. there's been cases of human beings having to cannibalize each other for the survivors to and live. And that's not so, that's not a normal, typical rat behavior. That's that was brought on by uh, extreme conditions of seeking food. Yes and no, because you know sometimes when there's rats around a property, and let's just say that property get cited by the city government or they decide themselves let's clean up the mess that the rats are benefiting from and a rat goes for a property goes from being sloppy to being clean the rats that are around there will behave the same way they did in the pandemic uh, they will either leave the area and reestablish themselves someplace else nearby with this food or they will begin to uh, implode. They will start killing each other. They will have fewer litters. They'll have very tiny litters. Mm. Many times they have a litter. The parents will eat their own young, so forth. So I always teach and I always say sanitation is pest control. You said that during the, when the pandemic first started, you, you went out there to observe rats. So and I, I, I get this, the, the vibe that that's kind of what you do is you go out to observe what what does that look like? Paint a picture. Like, do you are there like secret places you go? Or you just sit out on the fucking sidewalk and you're just checking. It? I mean, how does that work? Um, there's no secret place. Well, I do have secret places. Okay, but secret places aside, the rats are pretty obvious where they are. I'm well, you guys are in D.C. You can. I'll give you a tip. You just start at dusk. Start at dusk and uh, walk around older neighborhoods. And walk around among those older neighborhoods where there may be eateries or restaurant row and then ask yourself the next question is where are all these eateries and restaurant row or even houses? Where is the trash kept? Mm. And if you're there between dusk and two hours is the magic window for the first round. And there's rats in that area. I guarantee if you walk around in those trashy areas, if the trash is not maintained, it's not difficult to have your own little private rat safari. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's something that is interesting to me because I was reading the Bloomberg article about the journalist who took the DC Rat Academy with you. That's that's how we stumbled upon your work. And in that article, they talked about this improper disposal of trash being a problem. And when we moved to DC, I was surprised to learn that in the trash cans, when you put your trash in there, there are always holes, giant, massive holes chewed through the actual trash can. And so I feel like it's it's a losing situation that we're in where you attempt to properly dispose of your trash by putting it in the trash receptacle and closing the lid tightly. However, the rats are so smart, and, and I'm, I'm hearing that from your answers as well, yes, that they can chew through them and figure out a way to get in there still because they know something good is in there. So, so what? how do you properly dispose? I guess that's the question. Yeah. Trash. It sounded like a rant. I'm sorry. but <laughs> no, no, it's very good. And, um, you know, it, I would add in the pandemic thought this, to us also is up until the pandemic, many of us as adults, we really did not wash our hands correctly. Mm. 
Mm. Right. I think we can all acknowledge that as, oh, yeah, we know what washing hands is. But the fact of the matter is many of us put our hands underneath the faucet. We do a little scrubby scrub and it's not quite thorough and we don't get underneath the fingernails and so forth and so on. And the virus has got hold of us. So we learned that was one thing, you know, as to the importance of just basic, simple kindergarten level behavior we're supposed to have as humans. Yes. The reason I mentioned that is it's the same with the trash. Most people do not know how to do their simple trash. So people come out and they say, take out the trash. And we, as a species, we're supposed to be so smart, but when we take out the trash, we take it out, okay? And we just assume it's going to go someplace when it comes and gets collected by the, you know, the refuse people and so forth. But so what do we do? Sometimes we use the cheapest garbage cans possible because it's a garbage can. Why would I spend a lot of money on garbage can? And then secondly, we may throw a bag into the garbage can because it's dark and we heard there were rats nearby or something like this. And so we'll throw it or plop it in there or we didn't buy a big enough can and we just stuff it and it's falling out and things are leaking and so forth. Wait, wait, wait. So I, Listen, I didn't invite an attack. This <laughs> is a you. personal attack on Jesse Dollimore right now. <laughs> well, you know what? We can all look in the mirror because, you know, until I was a rodentologist, I said, Bobby, you don't know how to take out the trash either, buddy. You know? So it's, it's the thing. But here's the other thing is sometimes, and I would ask you guys, how often do you clean your trash cans. Oh, we ne- <laughs> well, if you saw the back alley. Well, because of the it holes. Seems, it, it seems fucking useless to do that because the alley is just a goddamn nightmare well, back there. Well, I have an answer for you, Bobby. So th- because of the holes that the rats have chewed, when it rains, <laughs> they get cleaned out from the rain. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, the reason they're chewed into, though, and this is critical, you know, it's not as though they go chewing through every single you know, a garbage can. They're smart enough, as you just mentioned, but they're smart enough to know which cans have greasy film on them, which ones haven't been cleaned forever. And so there's just reek of mm. old foods and new foods. And they do what they've always been doing. Even before cities and buildings they, in the wild, they would get up to a tree. And if the tree had all kinds of acorns jammed into cracks and crevices, they knew I just follow my nose to the crack and crevice of the tree and using those powerful teeth, and they can bite at 7,000 pounds per square inch of pressure, by the way, wow. those front teeth. Whoa. Yeah. So you'll know, and I've only been bit once, but they'll bring you to your knees. And they go through plastic really fast. So it's the garbage cans that are dirty that will always have the most holes. And it's not to say they wouldn't necessarily try to get into it clean, but if you once a week clean your garbage cans with 10% bleach or any good disinfectant on the inside and the outside, just like you were doing your dishes after dinner and you didn't want to eat on a dirty plate the next day, that your garbage can that's been clean like that are going to be very, very low yeah. interaction. With I'm also rats. not going to have a life if I'm spending that much time <laughs> cleaning my cans. Well, if well. you care enough about preventing rats from being in the garage, you will. Well, what is shocking to me is, and was very shocking um, when we moved here, is just how many rats there are. Mm-hmm. Like Not just like inside of a trash can, but in little, little tiny spots like there was a it looked like there was an incident i don't know if we talked about this on the show where a rat was trapped i thought his giant rat nutsack had gotten stuck under the fence when he was trying to come under but it was actually a trap on the other side and he was his his little leg was crushed it was actually kind of sad um but they rats can fit in insanely small spaces Correct. And a lot of rats can fit into a small confined area. Am I right? Totally correct. And, you know, it's a little bit of a trick they play on us, if you will. If you measure the skull of a rat, it's, you know, from the top to the bottom, it's going to measure about a half an inch. But they look like they can't do that because if you shave off all the fur on a rat, it's amazing. All of a sudden, and we've done this, we've shaved off all the four in a rat. It's the scroniest looking animal you'll ever see. And if they get that head through of only a half an inch from top to bottom, they can do the limbo just like we can do the limbo, right? I'm sure you've done the limbo and you're like, I'm amazed they got underneath that limbo <laughs> bowl. But you did and what have you. But 
but they do the limbo the rest of the way. It's the head that has to get into that space. And if it's a hole, we usually say, just to be safe, about the size of a quarter, they're going to get through. And if it's a mouse, the size of a dime. But once the head goes through, it's the limbo all the way through after. Yeah, I was on your uh, your Twitter account, which, by the way, for the audience's edification, is at, um, it's under my phone here, at Rodentologist. Um, you had... A video of a possum sliding. It was inside of a, a like a, a birdhouse, and he Correct. squeezed himself out of it. It's the same concept as that, right? It's exactly the same, Jesse. That's the thing is a lot of mammals, you know, they have that pelage. It's called pelage or fur, but it's pelage. And they use it to, you know, keep themselves healthy, but they also use it defensively. So, when a predator like a cat or a wolf or a fox or something comes upon a rat in the world, that rat knows it's in trouble, if you will. And the first thing they do is, you know, we all know the expression, like cats, raise the hackles, right? So they they play this trick. They think, look huge. The rats I saw in the sewers my very first day, I'm like, that thing had to weigh five pounds. Well, it was a trick. The rat was afraid of me. I was afraid of it. And the rat tried to look as big as it could mm-hmm. to scare me away. And that's exactly what why an animal like a possum came out of that that uh, birdhouse there in the tree in my Twitter. Well, I have to say I'm scared of rats to the point where when I do go out and take the trash out to the you, alley. You are plopping the trash. I have <laughs> definitely thrown it and then ran away screaming. That has happened a few times. So it, it's kind of, and I'm sorry to say this, healing to hear that you've only been bit one time because I'm assuming, I mean, you've spent a lot of time around rats. It's only happened one time. Could you tell us what happened that one time you got bit by a rat? Sure. And the one time was, in fact, early. It was back to the sewers. And I was, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I'm ho-hum climbing back out of a sewer, up a ladder, so to speak, these rungs. And it was dark. And I, I reached up to the top rung. And just usually you grab hold of that thing pretty firmly. And instead of grabbing hold of the top rung, there was a rat sitting there. And I oh. grabbed hold of the rat. And the rat, you know, so anything, they're going to fight for their lives. But, you know, so I grabbed it with my hand and I knew right away. I, it just is the most frightening thing. I can't describe it. You know, it's in the dark and you've got this wild, furry thing going through your knuckles as hard oh, as it can. Uh. And, you know, it. you come out of there, you just, I hate this job. You know, <laughs> you kind of feel like, so, so that's what happened. Did you use a 10% bleach solution to also clean your hand <laughs> with the sewer rat biting you with its sewer mouth? Guilty, guilty, guilty. I did not. <laughs> I, I screamed for my mommy is what I did. You know, I came out of that sewer. I was just like, what the hell was that? You know, but I will tell you, and, and it's important for your listeners to hear this. I, the chances of anyone being bitten by a rat are so tiny. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, when I did my PhD, I moved into barns full of rats. So I could observe them and learn and so forth and so on. I literally moved in and slept on the floor with the rats and took notes and took photographs and everything like that. And that rat colony never once over the weekends I would spend with them ever, ever attacked me, ever came up and bit my face or anything. As long as they have food. Now, if they're starving and I'm I'm there and I haven't uh, wiped my face after dinner with a napkin, my face becomes what they think is food. So, of course. But other than that, the chances are very low. You're a maniac, Bobby. That's the motivation you need to keep your face clean. Yeah. <laughs> if there ever was one. So, let me, let me ask you. Know, I'm you. Use that. I like that. So, all right. Go what, ahead. What, um, what kind of numbers are we talking about here? Like, like a city like D.C., and we have listeners in New York as well. Is there an estimate that anybody's done of a, uh, a census of the rat population in, in some of the cities in the United States? It's the number one question the media always asks, quite no offense, but you know, how nobody typical, knows how Jesse. many rats. Yes. How, nobody knows how many rats are in DC or Philadelphia or Boston, Seattle. We don't know. And there's no way to get it, right? How are you going to get that number? How are you yeah. going to get a number of the, you know, they're not filling out any census forms or anything. How do you get to the sewers? How do you get the rats in the sewers? How do you get them out in the fields? But to you use the word census and you can do census 
in areas with is a, just a relative index and you, you can do it over and over again over time. So let's say you stand in one alley. If a scientist would do this, you could, if you want a census of how many rats are in that alley, stand in that alley between eight and 10 and count the visual rats you see. Do that again and again, and you'll come up with a pretty decent estimate, you know, with a, you know, you're not going to get the exact, yeah. but you'll get a decent, is there a hundred or is it 500 that you will get Jesse, but you will never get. And I know people have tried it. And there's even been a publication. Someone said, you know, they used the three, one, one complaint system and they put a formula to it. And they came up with this extrapolation that it was, there's 2 million rats in New York city. Well, okay. But in my opinion, that's as good a guess as many other guesses. We don't know. And I, are there millions? Probably. But, you know, it's usually, I'm going to say, density dependent on the people and all kinds of things. How many restaurants? How dense are the restaurants? How old are the buildings? How close is freshwater systems? How many sewers? How old are the sewers? So in a blink, you end up with this big scientific hypothesis that, uh, you know, no one's ever going to get at. So, so let me, because this is your, 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 your field of study, this is your passion, this is your life, are you a neutral figure or do you view the rat population uh, in, in cities like Washington, D.C.? Uh, do you view it as a problem? Uh, it absolutely is a problem. Make no mistake. You know, it's a it's a little bit of a paradox. I mean, here we have this wonderful, beautiful mammal, by all regards, quite honestly, except when you see it coming out of a sewer. But it's a <laughs> wonderful mammal, just like any other mammal. I mean, no one would you know, think of, hey, the cat's a disgusting animal. Well, you know, the cat's something we've domesticated and we're very close to and the dog and so forth. So, but at the same time, because these animals are scavengers, you know, because they say, well, we find our food based on where the humans and other things leave garbage and food. So they end up in these disgusting spots like the sewers and the garbage cans and dumpsters and and all over there they'll even eat dog feces and so forth because of that behavior they're a problem right yeah. because you know they're from there with all those germs all over their bodies that's why we keep foods in our refrigerator so they don't get you know um dangerous to us by eating them so these animals are constantly mixing it up with germs and viruses and bacteria and all kinds and then they may squeeze below that small door in the back of your house and now they're in with all those germs that's a problem you're writing a horror movie for britney page right now so so let me ask you this <laughs> do you if you if you were if you were king for a day you had a magic wand what were what would be a couple of things that you would uh change about how disparate municipalities across the country are, are are what mistakes are they making that you would correct well you know it, it's a there too you know it's a situation of i'm not sure it's mistakes per se as it's we're up against a very complex population biology question you know resources limited uh people getting all the people versus what mistakes that governments make we have to look at ourselves as the populace. And I, I would put that back on and say, what mistakes does the populace of a city, D.C. or Boston or Seattle or Hong Kong or you name it, what as a species, as humans, what percentages of us do not keep our own nest clean yeah. so that parasites take advantage of it? And Jesse, that's the magic question. So, but people think, well, if a city government that has rat control uh, responsibilities comes in, they should get rid of all the rats. There's no chance of that. It, it, you know, they can help, they can inspect, they can educate, they can here and there. But, but the whole thing is, if I was king of the world or whatever, I'd say, look, everybody must keep their nest clean. That's your yard, your garbage, your crawl spaces, your doors. You know, we will not tolerate because if one bad neighbor, wherever you two live, for example, you're only as safe as your worst filthy neighbor. And oh, no. It, yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, fucked then. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the bad news. I call it the one out of ten rule. You can be on a block with nine beautiful houses or apartment buildings. If one in the middle doesn't do it right, uh, you're all going to see rats on that beautiful block. 
Well, and I guess that is when I was reading that Bloomberg article about they called it DC's Rat Academy. I don't know if that's what you call it, but it seemed to be the main takeaway is that that Rat Academy, (laughs) the purpose of it is to teach people how to do things differently so that they can decrease the problems that they have individually or at their businesses with rats. Totally correct, Brittany. That's, that is the goal of that Academy and for businesses and people, most people, quite honestly, when it comes to pests, the word pests and pest control, a lot of us, a lot of people like, you know what? I don't care. It's not important. Just somebody called an exterminator. I'm busy. I had really important things on my to-do list today. So they blow off pests. They blow off, you know, if they see a mouse, they, oh, who cares? And if they see a rat on the street, oh, who cares? Not realizing that it's a reflection. If you see rats, it's a reflection. It's more rum reading of the environment of that block and the health of that block and so you know it's just it's just weird again it's this it's ironic that our name is homo sapiens which means wise people a wise person and where when it comes to this we're not sapient we're homo non-sapient just a bunch of dummies out here <laughs> relative to this we are Um, you've, you've been speaking highly of rats. I mean, interspersed throughout this interview, there's been positive comments about rats. Can you take us behind the curtain a little bit? What, what do you find so appealing about these creatures that maybe most people are missing about rats? If you take, if you take the rats out of their element, right, you take them out of the, the filthy alleyway. And you take 100 rats and you put them in a beautiful, clean barn, you know, and you keep them in there and you move in with them and you watch them. What you will see is 100 rats that have very similar behaviors to ours. And that's why we study them so much over the years and we use them in pharmaceutical research and so forth. But what you will see and what scientific publications have proven, this this is not, you know, just anecdotal things. We now know that you will see altruistic behavior. And I saw it, but I didn't know what I was seeing in grad school back then. You will see rats being kind to other rats. You will see rats helping other rats. You will, you will see rats that can figure out problems and solve them. We now know, you know, through research, you will see animals that ha- can make decisions based on experience, which we always thought was reserved for the, quote, higher mammals, you know. And, and so we now know that you know, these animals are far, far more, we'll use the word intelligent and or capable of innovative and industrious. Those are the words I throw at them because behind the scenes, you have an amazing mammal, but yet on the surface, when it's viewed by the populace and, you know, back to the alleys and the sewers and the backyards and so forth, climbing out of a dumpster, we demonize this thing and hollywood demonizes this this mammal to a point where you know we just see it with revulsion and hatred and kill it any way you want kind of feeling and so behind the scenes to your question is this is a great mammal and i always tell my students and others say look you like whales everybody puts their hand i love whales oh my god how can you not love whales i'm like (laughs) How about rats? No hands go up. They're like, what are you talking about? So it's mammals and they're beautiful mammals in their own right. Do you ever stub your toe or hear a coworker stub their toe, Jesse? You never hear them yell out, mice, yeah, ouch, mice. You know, when people are mad or upset at work or they go, rats. We all know what that means. Instead of using expletive, they say rats. You know, rats, the meeting went long, but you never heard James Cagney say, you dirty mouse. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, it just didn't have the impact. Well, I'll set aside the fact that you're hanging out with a lot of very sophisticated people who don't use words that I use, but uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Let, let me ask you this. We, we've got neighbors who have had problems with the rats. So it's, it's not necessarily that, oh, they're crawling out of dumpsters and out of my trash cans. Oh, you dirty rats. It's oftentimes there is physical damage done to property they our neighbors have their their hood propped open almost all the time because to to i guess remove a shelter from the rats because the rats get under the hood and then chew some soy based 
wiring around the car's wiring system gets chewed and destroyed. And we've been immune from it. I guess our car doesn't have that particular thing. But they've had them, like, gassed out of their holes. And uh, it's been a real problem for them. So we asked our neighbors if they had any questions for you. And one, pretty straightforward, was it's it's not a nice question, but um, what's the most efficient and cost-effective way to kill these uh, industrious mammals? Well, and, and I'll just make a comment before I mention go specifically to the word kill, but the most effective and industrious way not to even have to get to killing them is don't attract them to your space in the beginning. Yeah. That's the most humane way. So if back to the, if you keep a healthy nest, you won't have this decision to make and, or you won't have the money you're going to have to spend to take care of it. So, and in most cases, when we're talking about rats, this is not something a homeowner do it yourself or should be thinking about is how I killed the rat. You know, because uh, taking on that particular mammal, just like I said about myself, you know, uh, with them in the sewers, that mammal is scrappy. And that mammal at a pound and a half to two pounds, if if you go after it to try to kill it, you know, uh, with something, um, you're going to have to have experience. You're going to have the right tools like the pest professionals have. So I always tell people, look, when it comes to rats, this is not DIY. Just don't do it unless you have no choice. But, you know, the most humane way to kill rats, you know, these days, um, if and even for professionals, is probably to use something like carbon dioxide. You know, people call it gassing them down their holes. Well, in laboratories, millions of rats are euthanized with carbon dioxide in laboratories because that's a humane and very effective way to do that. You know, most people are familiar with putting out a rat trap and baiting it and same for the mouse, a mouse trap. And sometimes those work and sometimes they don't. And but if you don't have any experience of how to do that correctly, that could be both very inhumane and actually a real dilemma if you show up in a rat like you described is caught by the leg only and it's in extreme pain. So I would say, you know, how to kill rats belongs in the purview of pest professionals. Yeah. Do, do, do rats, do they serve any, any larger purpose within an urban ecosystem? Like, you know, like people talk about killing mosquitoes. Well, What's the next thing up on the rung that's not going to have a mosquito to eat if you start eradicating different species? What is there a purpose that they serve positively within an uh, an urban landscape? Well, I notice you're using it, and I'm sure it's very deliberate. The urban landscape, I would say, not much, right? Not once they're in the cities, the urban landscape, as you put it, Jesse. The answer is not much. You know, there some people say, well, you know, they help get rid of our garbage. No, not right. No, you know, and so, you know, they do here and there and, you know, significantly to some degree in cities provide food for the predators of the city. So hawks and owls are probably number one and two in that regard is the hawks and owls are, are going to use them for food, but so too will some snakes. So too will urban Fox and, and so forth. But, you know, other than that, um, you know, it would depend on where they are. If they're in an area where there's a field nearby and, and they're living in burrows outside of a park and they're feeding, they'll feed on all kinds of nuts and berries and flowers and so forth. They'll help, uh, keep the soils aerated with their burrows and they'll help to dis- uh, distribute seeds and so forth, much like birds do. But, you know, along those lines, I think would be horrible not to say thanks. Uh, and I hope everybody says thanks to the rats, because if it wasn't for rats, the same species, right? Even though the urban ecosystem isn't that much better off if they move into our cities, but as a species, we should all be saying so much thanks to that one species more than any other animal, more than dogs and cats and whales and everybody, because we all, the three of us here, for example, our lifetime has probably been extended by another 15 years of longevity because this is the species that we've tested 
everything on and mm. in yeah. for 50 years, cancer drugs, pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, every single thing that we benefited from with pharmaceuticals over these years has been done through the sacrifice of these mammals. And that species alone uh, is responsible for our longevity. I think that's a, an important reminder. And I, I kind of feel like you're putting me in my place with this interview. And I really like it because sometimes <laughs> I need that, you know. Uh, I read that in 2005, you were awarded the EPA's award for innovative pest management programs. And your Twitter timeline, as Jesse mentioned before, shows a focus on climate change. What What is the connection between pests, rodents and climate change? Why is that something that you, you seem to focus on in your social media? Well, you know, uh, the issue, of course, of climate change is broad, as everybody knows now, and it's it's affects so many different things. Incredible. And so rodents are probably benefiting. We don't have an empirical measurement, Brittany, on this, but, you know, they're benefiting in that, you know, the species of D.C. and the species of the eastern, northeastern coast, they don't hibernate. And, you know, so they can't hibernate, but they need to have young and but they'll shut down the reproduction in the winter time pretty much to zero if it's a severe winter because it wouldn't it's not worth it to have babies that are going to freeze to death during a dc winter or something like this well with with the global warming those winters are no longer as threatening mm. so now you have a species that can grow in terms of numbers logarithmically when it's in their favor. But let's just say because of global warming, they're eking out one more litter, just one, which is what all the biologists around the world are saying, you know, the fisheries are changing, the insects are changing, you know, the birds are changing, there's different migrations. We're definitely affecting these animal populations around the globe in all kinds of ways. For the rat, I'm focused on, look, it is about, uh, it is about global warming, it is about ecology, it is about IPM, because if we're going to err on the side of giving city rats one more litter a year that they did not have before this, that number is going to show up in a big way. And it may be showing up in a big way with certain numbers that we're seeing in our cities and complaints, but we don't have any proof of that empirically yet. What, what kind of an impact can one extra litter per year have? Wow. So – you know, if you take, you know, much has been done on this, but you take a rat, a female, and everyone always asks, if you have a male and a female and, and they mate once and you start from there, uh, what's the impact a year later kind of question? And so it's all dependent on resources, Jesse, and it's all dependent on all kinds of factors, but it could end up as high as if you take one family of rats to start out with zero and everything's in their favor and all their descendants, not them, but their descendants a year later from, a, you know, you can end up in the thousands. You can end up with 10,000, even some speculators highs, 15,000 descendants from that female. In one year? Starting out. Yes. Over the course of a year. Oh. So, but the reality is quite honestly, it's just like everything. It usually doesn't go that smoothly. There's all kinds of factors. There's mortality. There's, you know, predation. There's, you know, infighting, so forth. But one thing's for sure, sanitation alone, not allowing them to have good protein, which you need for babies, no protein, no growth. So I always, I always, and I said it during the academy, no food means no rats. Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, um, I... That, you just blew me away. I think we're going to end it there. That is okay. that is an astounding figure. Yeah. 15, 10 to 15, if if just unfettered, all healthy, all great. That's, that's amazing. Um, yes, it is. Can you, where can everybody find you? I'm sure that there are going to be people who are interested. So the best spot, as you mentioned, I'm not a big social media guy, but I do love Twitter because it's so darn efficient and there's so much great science on it. So you can find me at Bobby Corrigan, you know, at Rodentologist uh, on Twitter. Perfect. And then we always, we like to end our interviews with one question that is that is not rat related, uh, it, although your okay. answer may be, mm -hmm. and that is, what is the last thing that you changed your mind about? 
So, um, yeah, it's such a great question. So I would I would put shit on rats uh, because I you know I've been studying so many years and hard and try to be on top of my science, but for many years, quite frankly, and I think about this all the time. Uh, I would always debunk what I called a myth. And the myth I would try to debunk was that construction causes rats. And I'd say, look, you know, that's ridiculous. Um, it's, the rats were there before the construction, if you see rats after construction. And so I would just totally dismiss it at meetings and what have you, but for years. And not too long ago, I ended up reading a paper, which I didn't expect to read on something. I had no, you know, relation with rats. And that was about, uh, infrastructure in cities and what happens with infrastructure. In other words, someone tears down an old building. Do they take out all the pipes from that building? Do they take everything away before they put the new building in? I always assumed they did. I always assumed that was city code. You must take out everything. You can't leave anything behind. Well, the fact of the matter is many cities allow for the old sewer pipes, the old sewer laterals from the building that go to the sewer and water lines and all kinds of things be left in the ground and just cap them off, leave them there. Who cares? Well, we've been doing that, leaving old infrastructure, billions of pipes below our cities as we go from old to new and tear down and rebuild and, and put in new water lines, new sewers, new laterals to buildings. So we've been doing that for hundreds of years. So we have, I don't know, how many pipes below the ground now? And do the rats use pipes below the ground? Of course, it's the perfect burrow system. So now I've had to somewhat, I joke to myself, but I have had to rethink and admit and almost eat my words that in some cases, construction does cause rats in those cases if those pipes are left in the ground. So I'm completely flipped on that. And, and I say it without any embarrassment because science goes forward so i'm going to cop out here and saying you know what i went back and changed my mind well i was updated for myself no that's that that's, that's awesome wh- that's why we ask the question because yeah. we advocate on this program um as i do on my youtube channel that um not only is it okay to change one's mind when the facts change or one's understanding of those facts change but it should be encouraged that mm-hmm. Look, what I don't know the saying that if you're the same person as you were five years ago, you're doing something fucking wrong. Um, <laughs> the same thing goes for how we're thinking about things and how we perceive the world. And uh, that's a that's a fantastic answer coming from someone who is an expert in the field. Yeah. Who was able to change his mind. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. That's yeah. a great answer. Well, I love that question. And I wish we all should do that it should be obligatory we should be forced to do that you know he's like hey you know what i was wrong but i didn't know i was wrong so you're right bobby we are great and we're doing a good job with what we do <laughs> yes 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 i know it's perfect totally perfect yeah well anyway thank you for your time yes, we, thank we you. appreciate the your field of study your your life's passion and you've uh opened my eyes to a lot of different things i think i'm not going to be as uh I think I'll, I'll I'll view rats with a little bit more empathy going forward than 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 prior to the interview. Well, and I'm going to have to start cleaning out that trash can. I mean, that's that's pretty much what I'm going to have to do. Well, great. Now, Bobby, that means I'm going to have to find a new co-host, and uh, I'm going to put that at your feet, sir. <laughs> yeah, uh, make sure you she comes to work with gloves. So. <laughs> well, we haven't mentioned it, but Brittany is a mild functioning germaphobe. So yeah, yeah, she. Uh, Keyword functioning. When, when you were talking about washing your hands correctly, all of that applied to me, but it most certainly did not apply to the lovely and talented Brittany Page. That so. is right. <laughs> all right. Well, we had mission accomplished then. Those are great things to hear what you're going to take away from. That's yes. right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your time, and uh, we appreciate you. Okay. That was a lot of fun, you guys. Take care. Several great lessons in that in that discussion. Yeah. Several prominent takeaways for me from Bobby. And I just, I love when someone is so passionate and knowledgeable about their their field. It was fascinating to listen to him talk. Reading that Bloomberg article about the rats was fascinating. I remember I shared it on social media and got very little engagement on it because it's about rats. <laughs> well, it's also one of those things that, you know, you can acknowledge with your brain that eating meat is is not long for this world. In a 200 years, people are going to be looking back 
and be like, you what? You got, that's barbarians. And it's in a similar way, we will be viewed as barbaric relative to how we dealt with pest-like species. Yeah. Like rats. Well, he's describing them as social and um, they work together and they're altruistic. They help each other. Mm-hmm. Those are all qualities that are, that are wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not doing ourselves or them any favors by how we, how we deal. Now, listen, obviously, you know, it's like our policy on spiders in the house. If, if you're in the house, you got to die. But I'm not going to step on a spider out on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. The same with rats. I mean, it's, uh, there's got to be a better way. And it's, it's nice that there are people like Bobby Corrigan out there working hard to change hearts and minds and also research behavior that may lead to a better way to deal with um, the rot population. Well, and kudos to Bobby because this is not an easy task, especially convincing people that they are the problem. Yeah. And that they can have what they want but they're going to need to drastically change their behavior. And that includes being more intimate, frankly, with their trash and getting in their trash cans to clean them, cleaning yeah. up the area. I mean, I'm certainly checking myself and I've I've dedicated myself to this weekend going into the garage area, which we already informed everyone is actually outside. It is a mess right now. It is filled with leaves. It is filled with sticks. It is basically a rat's nest out there. <laughs> Add to that the trash cans and the general trash alley situation. Yeah, it is a goddamn nightmare. And out there. it is the perfect place for rats to make their home. So yeah. I have dedicated myself after talking to Bobby to going out there and cleaning it up and maintaining it, making sure that it yeah. stays clean so that I don't see dead rats in our garage because they're hanging out in there because it's a perfect place for them to make a home well as long as we are sharing the things to which we are dedicating um ourselves i i am dedicating myself to the next time that i'm sleeping in a barn with thousands of rats i too will have a clean face free of food so they don't chew off my fucking lips that's (laughs) that's big of you Good job. Because I don't want 7,000 or 4,000 pounds a square inch, you know, sawing off my lips as a little snack. No, no, no. Anyway, we would love your participation in this conversation. 657-464-7609. And as always, we are a listener-supported show. We would appreciate you considering supporting and producing the show by supporting us on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. And pick your tier and decide on your rewards. We are developing right now what the end of the year Patreon gift will be. As we have done for the past uh, few years, uh, everybody, every tier gets uh, in on that particular giveaway. And we look forward to it every year. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, Bobby Corrigan, I'm Jesse Dollimore. This has been I Doubt.